I'm Sally, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I went from a life that led to total self-destruction to finding other 12-step programs in this program, which have helped me get on a path of reconstructing my life. Um, I grew up from, um, in a, I'm the oldest of seven children. I grew up in a very intellectual, academic, father, professor, English professor, family, mother, great artist, a push for the academic, push for the academic, push for the academic. Um, I'm a kind of average, maybe above a little bit, you know, just a regular person of, you know, surviving intelligence and creativity and that kind of thing. Um, but grew up with this, we all did, um, thing where we were born with our last name genes and there was no excuse not to live up to those. And my parents were children when they had me, they were 18. Mom got pregnant at 17, they were 18, dad had a PhD at 24, blah, blah, blah. And they kept pumping out babies. And I love them all. But uh, with the violence, his mom loved to have babies. And as they grew, she wanted other little ones. I defended them against dad as she kept having them. Because she was a broken Stockholm syndrome abused wife. And she couldn't stand up to him. And so my siblings call me the mama bear um, because I would stand, I just couldn't, I knew it was wrong and I couldn't take it. And he was fierce and scary and his temples would pop out of his head and all this stuff. So I kind of got knocked around a lot, but they did the best they can. It's something that I learned. I used to point fingers and say, look at, look at this, 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 which was all very true. But there came a point where I had to look at my part in things in order to grow out of it but it all started when um, and my mom could never image was kind of everything um, um, and academic was expected um, and if and I grew up thinking I didn't cut the mess mustard you know okay we have these great genes and whatnot but something faltered in my genes but at age uh, my dad used to criticize my mom's figure. If she got fluffy, she was too fat. If she lost weight, she was too thin. He just picked, picked. They're good qualities to him too, or whatnot. But, you know, if she got too thin, her breasts weren't big enough. And it was all this body image stuff that I used to hear too much at a young age. And plus, I was her confidant because she was kind of isolated, kept isolated, creative woman, totally suppressed, used to edit all his novels and whatnot, but amazing artist. She died recently of dementia a couple of years ago, which was very painful to see such a vital creative man, my, uh, mind go down like that. Disease is a horrible thing. Um, but anyway, at age 13, at a very good weight, for my height, which is five feet, maybe I was five one at the time, I was 103. My mom went on one of these um, Atkins diets and she was dropping pounds like crazy. And I was, I just looked at that and I had a kind of a complex about my body because I was very muscular at a very young age. I just was a muscular athletic kid. And, but I had small, 
lovely breasts, but you know, small, young, per children's, whatever. And uh, but dad would say something about, you know, you're you need to put on a little weight. Um, it's better you should have a little weight. Uh, because then your breasts will be bigger and just all this image and don't pick up your brothers and sisters because your arms will be bigger and you look like Popeye and just all this body image stuff happened. At 13, watching my mom on the, um, the one thing I could handle was food or something, how much I took in. And at 13, at a very good weight, um, I started doing the Atkins diet. And I was up and down. I don't remember quite exactly because I got physically just ill. All my development, um, hair and growth and everything stopped or fell out or whatever it was from malnutrition. And then, mind you, I was 103. And by the time I was 15 and a half or almost 16, I was got down to 78 pounds. And I remember being in my high school, I remember being in a special ed classroom as a, as a teacher's aide, it was my elective, one of my elective credits with these beautiful, sweet children of, you know, tender hearts and aspirations with their physical, it was mild to moderate or mild, what was it? I don't know, but some had, it, were in wheelchairs and whatnot. And it was a cookie, a kooky teacher in that class. And I shared in my total illness about food and I really became very emotionally mentally ill emotional whatever you call it I do have mental illness I take medication for it but whatever it runs in the family but I shared with her oh because I'd gotten to 84 pounds from 78 and mind you 103 is where I started right now mind you I'm 130 or 135 maybe I should drop a few but it's not the same thing anymore but I said to her, you know, I'm I'm overeating nonstop and I've gained six pounds in a week. And she said, oh, I have a solution for you tomorrow morning. I'll show you. And so the next morning comes and mind you, I'm almost 16 or barely 16. She comes in with, we used to get her drugs back then, which I later got into, and little film canisters. And in this little film canister, there was something called, and it was full cross tops, which are little speed whites, right? This is the solution. This will work for you. And lo and behold, they did, right? And it started a, a crazy cycle where I'd have them and I'd lose, so maybe exaggerating, 10 pounds in a week or 20 in a month or whatever it was. And then when I ran out, the obsession of food would kick in again and I gained 20 pounds or lose. And it was just this up and down thing. And um, I was to the point where I was doing things like having a couple of things. I would have, when I went to the dinner table, I have a theater background. Maybe this is part of where it started. But I would be at the dinner table with everyone. And I'd have my little plastic baggie inside the front of my pants, a little plastic baggie, and the food on the plate. And I would pretend I would chop everything into tiny pieces, took a lot of time to do that, to lollygag with my food, which I didn't want to eat and blah, blah, blah. And I'd eat it slowly, but then make sure somebody was eating and pretend to have a bite in my mouth, which I chewed mom, 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 and pretended to swallow. And then when, when anybody wasn't looking, I scooped that food off the plate into my little plastic baggie in the pants. 
And so little odd things were happening like that. Interesting measurements and strange obsessions like eating a five pound bag of carrots and then 10 and just these different things and foods that were bad for me also, just obsession with that. I went through another thing. My mother used to do food obsessive things like go on a frozen orange concentrate diet, frozen for two weeks or whatever. And so I do things in my head and mind you, calories and carbohydrate, I couldn't eat a half stick of gum without thinking of calories or carbohydrates. My whole day, every minute, all of it was obsessed with food, food, food. It was loco, loco. And I would do this thing where I would say, because it was just a complete obsession, I will eat everything and I will just eat and eat and eat until midnight. And then at midnight, I will begin my frozen concentrate orange juice fast. Oh, by the way, I had tried multiple different diets other than Atkins and my own plans and other plans. And, you know, as soon as I went off of them, the obsession came back, you know, um, because Atkins stopped working because then I'd stop with the zero carbohydrates and stuff with carbohydrates and the body would do a reverse. But this thing would be that I would eat till midnight. And I remember one time, just for an example, and I was still at home at this time, um, I was not quite 16 and a half and I would eat, I remember a bag of round rolls, a whole bag of round rolls and there was no butter, no jam, no peanut butter, no cream cheese, no nothing, but there was safflower oil. And I remember dipping roll after roll in safflower oil and eating it and anything else, a whole bag, anything else in the house. And then I'd look at the clock at midnight and also there was a fear, a fear of, of, a frozen concentrate orange juice for two weeks or whatever. I'd look at the clock and one might say 12.01 or 12.05, or was that 12 or not 12? And my head was kooky. And I'd say, oh, it's past the midnight hour. So the next day I would overeat again. So everything was crazy. Everything was crazy. When I was growing up, I had a feeling that I, I didn't, it seemed like everybody had a clue I'm kind of skipping ahead of what they wanted to do in their life. I had no sense of myself. There was an image I was supposed to live up to. I had no sense of myself. I didn't cut the mustard, all these things. Um, uh, there was a final violent thing that occurred at the house. And, uh, and when I was 16 and a half, and I had a friend, we had moved out from Santa Barbara, which was all orchards back then to the Laverne area. And it was a final thing of violence with my dad driving, dragging me kind of around the yard and grabbing onto rocks. I think I, I don't remember, defended my grandma or mother or talked back or something. And the speed didn't help. It didn't help. It sure helped me assert myself better. And that didn't fly very well. And I was already asserting. So anyway, I left home and went back to Santa Barbara at 16 and a half. And the first place I went was with my friend Lucilla's family. She had invited me. I kept in touch with her. And her mother was a severe alcoholic. And so that was crazy. And I was already had this, uh, I forgot to say, the white turned into something called Pink, pink Ladies, which eventually graduated and lose track of time into something called black beauties, which turned into methamphetamine. But also at 17, uh, then that house was not good. 
I also overdosed on something called Aquaban for a water weight when you're on your menstrual cycle. Anything that could get rid of weight. You're supposed to have one or whatever of those over a five-day period. And I was taking five in a day. And I remember being on, and after this, I wound up moving to a devout Catholic family's friend's mother in Santa Barbara too. But I overdosed on those Aquabans and was with my friends on a public bus and passed out and wound up hospitalized. And uh, then I remember my dad chewing me alive from this area there, you crazy, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, then after that, um, at my friend Mary Jo's house, devout Catholic and whatnot, they had it, this is more behaviors, had a full on turkey, was probably early November in their freezer in the garage. And I went back to the protein Atkins diet and chipped away at that frozen turkey. I guess it was their second turkey. Most of it was there until it was totally gone. You know, secret chipping at the turkey. So all these disorders were happening. Um, anyway, then somebody told me, if you smoke cigarettes, you won't eat so much. <laughs> so as much as it gagged me and I had been athletic, that was all disappearing because my electrolytes were destroyed and I was just out of my mind. But so smoking was horrible, disgusting, whatnot, but I sure as heck learned how to do it. And before long with my obsession, I was off and running. One pack became two packs. And then I found other drugs to calm my anxiety. Sorry about that. Calm my anxiety from, uh, from methamphetamine and cigarettes with wine, which mm -hmm. ultimately became vodka, which became other substance to calm that. And it was up and down and up and down. I remember going days without sleeping. I remember it was sketchy and just crazy. And I wound up the first time I'm 64, I'm going to be 65. Medicare is kicking in. I'm getting that all planned right now and all this stuff. But um, I was 28 when I first came into AA to help me out. And I now have almost four years sober and I've had more years sober in between there. I once had 12 years, but I would always get away from program. And the food thing was still there because this is about food right now. And that's a big one for me. I'm an addictive person and I realize I'm skipping around. So, oh well, but um, uh, it was always stuffing down my emotions, stuffing down. I had no sense of who I was. And the beginning of AA, I started to hear people talking about their lives and running from their feelings and running from their feelings. And somewhere along the lines there, I wound up going to college, um, 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 you know, on drugs and alcohol and chain smoking and eking by, amazing eking by. But somewhere in there, even though I'd go back out and relapse and food was a continuous up and down thing, I learned about OA. And um, and it was the same concept. Drugs, alcohol, food, shoving things down, shoving things down. And then I had, for a little while, they said the, the literature was helping me out a bunch. So it was an AA and OA. But then I went away from that too. But the literature and the slogans were helping me out a bunch. And I was hearing things that were opposite from growing up. 
you don't Hi, Sally, have to be, five minutes left. Okay, thank you. Boy, I'm talking. You don't have to, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have these last name genes. You can be just a person. You can be a, a thing one day at a time. It's like I was born and slapped on the butt and make life happen, win the Nobel Peace Prize, make yourself worthwhile and deserve this life or whatever, whatever. Well, I hear things at meetings one day at a time. Easy does it. Um, I'm just another bozo on the bus. I'm your your garden variety, alcoholic, overeater, whatever it was. And people were just sharing. It was okay to feel your feelings. We weren't to share. That was, you know, growing up, you're creating your problems. You want a no real problem? I'll show you a real problem. Da, 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 da. But anyway, and they did the best they could. But anyway, with program, little by little, and the sayings, I was learning the opposite from what I was learning growing up. And I was learning that it's okay to make mistakes because mistakes I made, I beat myself to shenanigans about. Oh, and and um, I go out and come back and I still gain from whatever I got before. Let's say we're OA now. And then I learned, I'd had a sponsor for a while, go leave program, go back out again. And then I learned I need guidance. Guidance is okay. Asking for help is okay. Making mistakes is okay. And I began to learn things like I'd make a mistake and I'd be in this mode. And it still happens because there were grooves, I think, that were conditioned to fall into. And this builds a bridge. I I learned that, oh, you made a mistake. Okay, that's okay. Put the bad away. It's okay. We all make mistakes. Don't have to beat yourself up. You don't know. It's okay not to know. It's okay. Things would hit home like better if you don't know something to not say anything than to open your mouth and prove that you don't know anything. Or it's okay not to know anything. Be quiet and listen. Stop trying to prove every that you're fine. I remember one time driving along in my car. It's just an example. And I had my elbow totally lost, totally lost. I remember having my elbow on the window shield, playing rock and roll music on the freeway, looking as though, so concerned with looking as though I had it together and I was hip and it was all, and it was just, oh my God, everything was for an image, a projection with no peace inside. And uh, I could never be skinny enough. I had, what do they call it? Dysmorphia, things like that you learn about, body dysmorphia. And that that it's an inside job. Everything was outside. Everything was her approval. It's an inside job. And uh, to learn about just that I'm not alone. I'm not a freak. My feelings of fear, my feelings of less than, that we're all human beings with the same human condition, we have different beliefs that explain our existence, where we are, where we go, the sense of spirituality, that there's something out. Yes, it's an inside job, but there's a power greater than me. I only have my own conversation going on in here. And that here I hear shares. It's beyond, it's beyond overeating and shoving in it's like input from other people we are so fortunate because we have a world of of beauty but also craziness in people 
and people who beautiful balance, more balanced people. Nobody's probably completely balanced because we all have this thing called the human condition. But we hear other people sharing from the heart, all on this path of growing. And how cool. And it's okay to be growing and you don't have to be perfect and foibles are okay. And you get out, you fall, you get up again. You fall, you get up again. Progress, progress. All these slogans are huge. And I hear different people share things that touch home. Or that problem is more difficult than I. Or, oh, you know, just touching beautiful things. People who are struggling at the beginning. Um, you know, I also go to a Nicotine Anonymous that I chair. It's beautiful to be safe and to be grateful that, that, to, uh, to have an understanding of what is amiss, they call the spiritual malady, all these things that I didn't invent, you know, and it's just so safety, so safe. And um, I'm just grateful to be on this path of growing and admitting my, uh, my, my faults, my struggles, recognizing behaviors. That's what the 12 steps are about. It's like a and I took the longest to do that. And I'm doing them again. I still, there's more to add, to add. A path to admit lostness. I can't handle, I can't fix it myself. I've tried, same conversation over and over again. There's you guys. If there's not a belief in God or a greater power, there's a power of a group of people sharing from the heart who have found a path of recovery that earnestly get each other and care about each other's recovery. Because there's something soothing and reinforcing and beautiful to see someone else getting well and acceptance if you fall off again. This is a safety. Hey, Sally, it's time. Okay. All right. Very good. And I just want to share one little joke. Time, it's over and stuff. But there's this guy, Clancy Isthmus, and he's actually from the AA program, but he shared there's branches. This is a branch off of AA from which there are out. Uh, gamblers and all different other things and clancy as oa was starting way back when i guess in the 60s was to go and talk to this group of people these overeating people starting a group and he said he was quite worried uh, concerned about it because he was going in and what he knew was alcohol and that kind of thing and he went in he shared about alcohol and then he went on to share some other things and he said and it really worked out what the, what i said they ate it up which was hilarious to me because this is Overeaters Anonymous. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in here. <laughs> yeah, I just had that somehow I was going to get that in here. Anyway, it's great to be here. I'm very grateful and thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you.